Father, we do thank you and praise you for this day. We do thank you for our moms and for the blessing that they are to each one of us. I do pray for each mother that's at home with her her children under these uh, circumstances, Lord, that you would continue to uh, encourage and empower each one uh, to be the mom that you've called them to be. We uh, pray for those that maybe have uh, pains from not being able to have children or losing children uh, through a variety of means. And so we, we recognize that this day is a day that uh, comes with great joy and great sorrow. And so, Lord, we know that uh, you know each one of these ladies that's listening now. Uh, we do pray that you would encourage each one uh, this day. And, Father, as we turn our attention to the scriptures, we ask that you would lead us now as we work our way through this this difficult chapter. And uh, we just ask that you uh, would illuminate the meaning of the text, help us to see what the, the, the main things are that we could apply to our lives, and that we would understand in part what you are doing in our midst. Uh, we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right. So I'm just going to read the first three verses here, and then we'll work through the whole of the chapter. So in Mark chapter 13, verse 1, we read, As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite of the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are going to be fulfilled? And Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We ask that you would help us now. In Christ's good name we pray. Amen. All right. So today, this passage requires a little bit of an introduction, longer than normal. I want to frame what we're looking at um, to, to, to help us uh, go through this passage. And then in the Navy, one of the things I learned and lived to by this day um, is when I'm driving a car, I've learned the lesson that you never back up farther than you have to back up. So if you have backed up enough, don't take it the extra six inches. Uh, if you can navigate forward. Um, I, I didn't live by this lesson on our recent trip to Spain. Uh, some of you may have seen and heard on Facebook, I, w- I had a good attitude about it. I saw some spiritual growth in my life. Um, we found ourselves in a very large vehicle, and uh, where we were staying, it was a one-way street that you could turn into the parking garage that was built who knows when, probably er- early 1900s. And I'm in this uh, huge SUV that can accommodate you know, our family of six. And as we're going in, Anna was, thought she would share video with her family through the app Marco Polo. And I, uh, I said, yeah, just keep, keep, keep it running. Show them how tight it is all the way through there. I can handle this. And so you pull into the garage. It's this super steep turning incline down to the right. There was maybe like two or three inches on each side of the vehicle. Then once you, you get in, you go all the way down to the end of the thing. While I'm doing this, there's a Spaniard that lives there that's like right on my tail, putting on pressure. And it's hard to describe, but you had to pull forward, and then you had to kind of 
uh, back it in, and there's these pilings, and, and it turns out the guy behind me, he was going to park in the spot next to me. And so when I get into reverse, when he put the car into reverse, which was a manual transmission, the car starts beeping to let you know that you're in reverse. And then, in addition to the beeping for going into reverse, uh, the car beeps when it senses that you're nearby something. And in this garage, I was nearby something every which way. And so there's beeping going off every which way. I'm in reverse trying to slowly back up. There's a little uh, metal bump, like a speed bump, in the parking spot that I have to back up over. And then, which I didn't realize, is on the concrete wall behind me, there was a little electric box. And I went about an inch too far, and the back window like totally exploded. The worst part of it was Titus, my six-year-old son, you know, screaming out from the explosion, Dad, I thought you were a good driver! And so the whole thing was a, was a nightmare. And the reason I bring the story up is as we navigate this, this passage that's known as the Olivet Discourse, um, I, I want us only to back up as far as we can back up. I, there, there's, there's too many things that we, we can hit the car on, so to speak. Um, if you want to dive into this passage and study the prophecy more, um, you can go to Matthew chapter 24. You can look at Luke uh, chapter 21, verses 5 through 38. Um, I'll probably reference, I, I think it was about a year or two years ago, we we kind of went through the book of Revelation, and then we paused uh, about the fifth chapter, and we went through Daniel. Um, there are many things that we looked at during that time, if you wanted to review, uh, to look at this in more de- in more depth. But my, I realize that there are some limitations that I have working through this chapter. The, the first limitation that I have is I can't see you. Um, often when you teach, you can kind of see how people are doing as you're working through the text. You know, with me, I have, I have Nick behind the camera who's one guy and a pastor. And pastors can, you know, kind of swing our swords and, and argue and debate and sort of dive, dive into what we think the meaning of the text is. I don't know how fruitful that would be in this this setting. Um, in addition to not being able to see you, there there are varying levels of biblical knowledge. So some of you might be very fascinated about prophecy and eschatology, which is a study of end times and and the the Olivet discourse. There are other of you who might be joining us who Christianity is very new to you and. And so I don't want to lose those that don't have too much interest. And in addition to the varying level of biblical knowledge on the subject matter, there are varying views of eschatology. So within the the body of Christianity, those evangelical Christians who take the Bible seriously, who love the Lord, uh, within those camps, uh, there's very or within Christianity, there's a number of camps of, of views. And so these are all uh, left-handed things. Uh, these aren't things that we should argue about. There are Christians that, that hold different views. Um, and, and you can hold views very firmly and with deep conviction. Um, I do, personally. Uh, last week, I referred to myself as a theological mutt. Another trait that I refer to myself as is a decaf dispensationalist. Uh, don't ask me to define it because I don't have a def- definition for you, but I, I recognize that I was trained and hold to dispensational views um, within the scriptures. And some of you are like, huh, what does that mean? 
Well, it, it's very important um, as we look at this chapter. There are uh, three main views as as we look at the things that Jesus is going to talk about today. There's the all millennialist. All means without or um, just absent from. So th- there are, there are those in the Christian camp who, when they look at this sort of teaching, they don't believe that the millennial reign of the Messiah is is a literal thing. They they hold that it's figurative language or it's spiritual language, sort of uh, painting a different picture. I, I don't fall into that camp. Um, uh, uh, another position that I skipped over would be uh, the preterist camp. Now, the preterist camp is they take what Jesus is going to talk about and they would say that everything that um, that is hap- that Jesus mentions today has already occurred. That it happened in AD seventy when the temple was destroyed, and and everything that he mentions was fulfilled already. And so I also don't find myself in that camp. The third main camp that I do find myself in is is a pre millennial position, and the pre millennial position states that. That when Jesus speaks of this thousand year reign, when Daniel references this thousand year reign, when John and Revelation speak of this thousand year reign of the Messiah, that that we hold it to be true, that the text, what it says is what it means, and it's plain reading of the the, 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 the text or the language. And then within the pre mill camp, there's the whole what do you do with uh, the 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 rapture of the church and the tribulation and so um, we'll get into to some of that but I don't want to put you to sleep we've just we've just started and so excuse me if I or you're welcome if I fly over this quickly um, I mainly as we work through the passage I want to look at the prescriptive things not so much the descriptive things. Uh, there, there are things that Jesus uh, Jesus describes in this chapter, things that are going to happen, but these things aren't uh, conditional on us doing anything. They're not. It's not up to us to uh, to, to, to to you know to, to flip the the lever to make all of these things happen. Jesus says these things will happen, and there's a lot of questions. There's mystery uh, about these things, and so. It's always easier to look in the rearview mirror and identify things in the Bible that have happened. Um, I believe we're still; these things are still future, and we don't necessarily know uh, what exactly they will look like. And so, I don't. I don't want to get lost in rabbit trails and speculation. I do want to focus on uh, things that are prescriptive. I do think that there are many good lessons for us to learn uh, within this chapter. And so, with that, let's let's begin these uh, the the first two verses that I read already. I read for four verses, but we've spent a long day at the temple. Jesus has been uh, attacked and responding. He asks some questions. He makes some observations as he people watches, and now they are leaving the temple. And so we read in verse one, as he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, "Teacher." Behold, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. Literally, you could translate this, how great are these buildings? How great are these stones? 
And for any of you that have had the privilege to go to Jerusalem to to see the the remains of the temple, it's it's overwhelming. The, these individual stones are are massive. Um, like the recreation of the temple that they've done, it's it, it's 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 breathtaking. And so I can imagine these guys walking out of the temple. You know, they're they're small town guys. They're from Galilee, the the sticks of of Israel, so to speak. And they're there and just taking in the temple as they're walking away, looking at Jesus and saying, Jesus, look at this building. It's massive. It's beautiful. It's, it's overwhelming. It's, it's overwhelming living in, in a modern context, seeing modern buildings. I can only imagine going back 2,000 years when uh, they didn't have the huge buildings that we have, how much more impressive it would be to them. And so this movement, as we move from verse 1 to verse 3, the picture is that they're walking. They would be heading east down the Kedron Valley, and then they would make their way back up the Olivet Discourse, it's a, the, the, the Mount of Olives. Um, so it's about a mile journey, and, and this is sort of the idea is they're, they're, uh, they're, they're uh, moving along this path. Uh, in verse 2, Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another which will not be torn down. And I, I'm not, I can only imagine how these guys reacted. That, that this is a, a temple that under Herod the Great, I, I think it was 46 years um, that it took to, to build the temple. Um, I th- if my memory is right at this time, like I forget exactly how far along they were, but I think it's like it's six years or so from the time of completion, or maybe it wasn't completed yet. Um, but but th- but it still had the new car smell, if you get what I'm saying. And it's this, it's like the Titanic. You know, there's no way this Titanic can sink. You know, only did they know what would happen. And, and so Jesus says, this 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 building. Not one stone will lay upon another stone. He's saying this, this, this great, massive, huge building is going to be destroyed. Um, little did they know within, within 40 years in AD 70, this building literally was destroyed by Rome. And with the gold that was inlaid between the, the stones, they literally uh, disassembled the whole temple, getting the gold out of it. And today when you go visit, there's there's one location on the, it would be the southwest corner of the temple, uh, which is known as the Davidson Center today, that you can go in there and you can see the stones that they've left down from the destruction. And verse 3, so as he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, so they've made their way down to Kedron Valley, up, and it's almost like that they've turned around and they're now facing the temple. Often when you like Google uh, Jerusalem or the temple and you see the Dome of the Rock, the Golden Temple, sort of that's, that's the view that you're looking at. Um, so now they're on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple. Peter and James and John and Andrew were questioning him privately. This is interesting. In, in my study of Mark, this is the first time it's, it stood out to me. So I've referenced the Olivet Discourse from Matthew 24, um, which there's a, a lot of uh, discussion on eschatology that kind of comes out of Matthew 24. Um, but I've never, I've never noticed from Mark that that whole d- discussion, this whole dialogue, 
happens by these four guys with Jesus in private. So much of the disciples are, are excluded. And so as we look at this conversation, I can't help but to think of the transfiguration back in Mark chapter 9, uh, verses basically 1 through 9. Uh, they go there, there's the transfiguration, and there's only the three of them, uh, Peter, James, and John. Somehow Peter's brother wiggled his way into this setting. So maybe uh, they let the cat, Peter let the cat out of the bag to his brother. Uh, but these four guys are asking him questions. They're questioning him privately. And in Mark chapter 9, verse 9, Jesus told them, after seeing the transfiguration, after seeing the things that they were talking about, about the crucifixion, um, Jesus tells them, you're not to speak of what you saw until after the resurrection. So I think these guys are like, what's going on, Jesus? We, we, we know what we saw. We're here. We see what's happening. We have a lot of questions about you've given us some responsibility. And so we have some questions. And they, they ask him, verse 4, two questions. They ask him, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are going to be fulfilled? Okay. So now with this question, there's the two questions is, Number one is, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of those things happening? And so the question is, what, what are these things? And so this is where the, all of those views that I laid out earlier, the, this is sort of the, where the rubber hits the road of how do you understand what those things are? Um, and I think that Jesus is explaining sort of uh, a prophecy that has dual meaning. And so I think he begins with this near prophecy of the temple being destroyed that is mentioned in verse 2, that he talks about that these will be, these, these will be destroyed, you'll see these things. But then he starts talking about his second coming, which lends to a whole bunch of discussion. And I, and I, and I, I really don't want to lose you. Uh, sort of hopscotching through this text, if we were to look down at verse 14, we'll see that Jesus talks about the abomination of desolation, which is referenced to Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. This would be a, a huge piece of um, the, the Jewish understanding of the coming of the Messiah, where where Daniel speaks of these 70 weeks, where 69 of the weeks, uh, each week is a seven-year period, um, have been fulfilled, and there's still the 70th week that has to, to, to happen. And so he says that, uh, he references the abomination of desolation, referring back to Daniel chapter 9, 20, 27. In verses 19 and verse 24, he speaks of uh, the time of the tribulation, and then in verse 24, he says, after the tribulation, which is a reference to Daniel chapter 12, verse 1, when Daniel speaks of, of, of a, a terrible time of, of persecution and, and tribulation that's going to occur for Israel. Um, and then in verse 26, we see uh, the Son of Man coming in the clouds, which references again to Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 and dealing with the the second coming of the Messiah the Jews would have understood this as as the first coming of the Messiah so 
um, this helps explain why uh, they were so confused and not seeing the suffering servant. They were expecting this Messiah, the one that was to, to reign and to rule. Uh, but, but Jesus came uh, unseen to them, as, as Isaiah in chapter 53 describes, as a suffering servant, the, the, the lamb that was going to the slaughter. Um, and so this is sort of, you know, these are things that we, we see in Mark chapter 13 that sort of help us uh, lay our, our bearings or our foundation of where Jesus is going. There's the near-term prophecy of, of the destruction of the temple, and then he begins speaking of the second coming, uh, which, which would have been foreign to them as they heard this. The whole idea of, of the church coming after the cross was something that they didn't anticipate. It wasn't something that they would have understood. Uh, but after the things that they saw at the transfiguration and that Jesus commanded them to start speaking about the things that they saw after his resurrection, they have some questions. And so in verse 5, Jesus began to say to them, See to it that no one misleads you. Many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and will mislead many. I opened too many files in my brain thinking through this, but I, I have these, these sort of the, the commands, these imperatives, these uh, prescriptive things within this descriptive text. And the first, I've highlighted them in green, sort of green means go in my mind. And the first thing I see in verse 5 is Jesus gives them a warning. Like, hey, as these things develop, make sure that no one misleads you. There's going to be all sorts of people that are going to be saying all sorts of stuff that, that will lead you. And, and if I, I could speak to Christians t- today in our world, that there's, there's, I say this in love, there's so many Christians that are so easily led astray, deceived. Um, you know, you see a video on YouTube or you see some guy that says something that's, that's pointed all of these things and, and, and you're quick to, to forward an email or to, to share a video and, and Jesus cautions us, don't, like, see to it that no one misleads you. Paul in Colossians, I forget, the guy, like, talks about don't let people delude you. Don't let people lead you astray. Uh, that we should know the scriptures. We should know the text. Uh, we should be grounded in the word of God. Uh, he said, many will come in my name, I, saying, I am he. There are these people that will come and, and act like they're solid Bible believing Christians, and unless you know the word of God, it's so easy to be led astray. Uh, Verse 7, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be frightened. Those things must take place, but that is not the end. For nation will rise up against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be earthquakes in various places, and there will also be famines, uh, these things are merely the beginning of birth pains. Number one, I, this is another one that caught me. It's Mother's Day today, so happy Mother's Day. So I see birth pains. Um, this, this seems to be like the, the Brax and Hicks contractions that, that happen. They're painful. Uh, I've never experienced one. Um, but I know that they're painful. But they don't even really mean any, Like It's kind of like just preparing the body. It's not that they're actually contractions. Um, and he's saying that there's going to be wars, there's going to be rumors of wars, there's going to be famines, there's going to be all of this stuff. And all of that stuff is the stuff that tends to freak people out and to get people reading their newspapers sort of trying to, to come up with a date or figure out that this is it, this is what's going on. 
and we respond in fear. And the one thing that we see in this that we're to do is verse 7, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't worry about the news. Don't worry about the, the coronavirus. Don't worry about all of these things that are happening. Trust that the Lord has it in control. Trust that God is sovereign. Trust that he has numbered the hairs on your head and he has you taken care of. Whether you live or you die, you're secure if you're in Christ. Uh, verse 9, he says, uh, But be on your guard, for they will deliver you to the courts, and you will be flogged in the synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them. So as Jesus talks to these four guys, he tells them it's going to get really bad. Think about it. Uh, who are the guys that are there? We have um, Peter, James, John and Andrew, three of the guys were executed for their faith. John, they tried to execute, but they failed, and he was exiled. For the apostles, for the early church, many of these people gave their lives for the sake of the gospel. Jesus says, it's going to get really bad. Just when I say, don't be afraid, that doesn't mean that it's going to be easy for you. It, it means, like, life is going to be hard. Um, they're going to do horrific things to you. He says, so be on your guard. Be, be, be ready to give a defense. And then he says in verse 10, the gospel must be preached to all the nations. So we see this sort of this preliminary uh, command of the Great Commission that we see in Matthew chapter 28, the very last few verses, you know, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Um, and he says this has to go out. And and this almost seems to be like the, the church age, that, that this spread of the gospel to all peoples. This is why we at, a, as, at our church are so committed to, to missions and those that we support overseas. Uh, we are trying to do our, our part, uh, both locally and globally, uh, for the sake of, of, of sharing the gospel. And then in verse 11, we go on and we read, When they arrest you and hand you over, uh, do not worry beforehand. So don't be afraid. Don't worry about these things. Uh, don't worry about what you are to say. But say whatever is but say whatever is given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak, but it is the Holy Spirit. And he's saying, don't worry, I will be there with you. You have the Holy Spirit within you as my followers. You don't have to cram for the test. Just be in the Word of God. Put the Word of God into yourself. Pray, seek God, walk with Him. When you find yourself in persecution, the Holy Spirit within you will then give you the words that you need to say. And I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this, it's, it's, it's amazing. I am terrible at Bible memory. Um, I, I know the concepts, but those moments when you're uh, engaging with the gospel and you're talking to somebody and they say something, and all of a sudden it's like the scripture that you have put into you, not even knowing it, it just comes out. It, it's an amazing thing when you see the Spirit of God work within you in that way. All right, where are we at? So now we're to the Mother's Day verse, verse 12. This is like, oh, Gunnar, what was I thinking? I should have sort of figured out the, the days, but my days are all off. But so happy Mother's Day with verse 12. Brother will betray brother to death. That's something that mothers don't like. Um, and father, And a father to his child and children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Uh, that's a wonderful Mother's Day passage there. You will be hated by all because of my name, but the one who endures to the end, he will be saved. So there's all of this like just bad stuff that families are going to be divided and how, how people are treating all over the sake of the gospel and who Jesus is. Um, there, there's going to be sort of 
a, a line of demarcation within families. And if you stand for Jesus, there's, there's, there's going to be conflict. Verse 14, but when you see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be, let the reader understand then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. So, so now where Jesus is speaking, the abomination of desolation, when we uh, went through Daniel, I've already I've played my cards. I, I'm a decaf dispensationalist. I understand this. My conviction is, is what Daniel is saying. During this, the 70th week, the seven years of tribulation, in the middle of this, there's going to rise up this leader that's going to do something horrible. And we see the abomination of desolation standing where it should not be. Mark inserts this parenthetical statement, which is the reason why I don't just like bypass this text. Um, why I was convinced to finally go through Revelation when it was not something like the, eschatology is not something that Gunner uh, really loves and is really compelled to, to, to teach on. Um, I have things like loving my neighbor. Um, loving my wife, loving my children. Uh, th- these are things that are tangible that Gunner needs to really work on before I start figuring out how the end of the earth is going to go about. But within these passages, the, the text tells us, let the reader understand. So the Bible commands us to, to study this, to, to learn these things. And then he describes this descriptive of what life will be like during this time of persecution. He said that then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains. And Judea must flee to the mountains. Verse 15, the one who is on the housetop must not go down or go or or go in to get anything out of his house. And the one who is in the field must not turn back to get his coat. But woe to those who are pregnant. Happy Mother's Day. And to those who are nursing babies. Happy Mother's Day again uh, in those days. But pray that it may not happen in the winter. For those days will be a time of tribulation, uh, such as has not occurred since the beginning of creation, which God created until now and never will. Unless the Lord has shortened those days, no life would have been saved, but for the sake of the elect whom he chose, he shortened the days. And then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ. Behold, he is there. Green passage. Do not believe them. So, so in this, I'm going to pause here at verse 21. He's going through and he's, he's sharing how terrible the tribulation is going to be. The time of the tribulation will be unlike anything that the earth has ever seen. We're in a time of a pandemic. The, the earth has seen far worse than what the coronavirus has done. This, is, this, will, this, as we see now, won't even be a blip on the radar as far as pandemics and catastrophes that the earth has seen. Jesus says that the times are going to get really, really bad. And in the midst of the times being really, really bad, there's going to be all sorts of people coming forth saying, hey, here's the Messiah, here's him. But what he's saying again is don't be misled. Don't believe, don't believe him. Don't believe those for false Verse 22, for false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show signs and wonders in order to lead astray, if possible, the elect. But take heed. Behold, I have told you everything in advance. But in those days after the tribulation, so now Jesus is working his way through the 70th week, the seven years of tribulation. And he says, after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. 
and the stars will be falling from heaven and the powers that are in the heavens will be shaken. This will be unmistakable. This is why, like, the Preterist, I have a hard time with this one because I don't think that this stuff has happened yet. Like, it, this is, history hasn't recorded something like this yet. He says in verse 26, at that moment, when all of this stuff happens after the tribulation, then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 with great power and glory. I know I'm filming at a Calvary Chapel church, and I know all that my Calvary Chapel brothers always say that Jesus is going to come with great great power and with great glory. So um, that's not what the text says, just to straighten them out. I'm trying to see if he's uh, he's agreeing with me. But actually, he's, great glory is with us now as a Southern Baptist. Um, but but this is unmistakable that, that when this happens, there'll be no denying the Messiah. Um, I can only imagine what this day will be like. Verse 27, And he will send forth angels and will gather together his elect from four winds, from the four winds from the farthest end of the earth to the farthest end of heaven. Verse 28, Now learn the parable from the fig tree. It's interesting that when they entered the temple, remember the whole fig tree, in the text, we dealt with that weeks ago, but it's all sort of tied together. The parable from the fig tree, the fig tree that was producing, but that showed like it should be producing, but wasn't. Like the temple was showing like it should be producing spiritual fruit, but it wasn't. When its branches had already become tender and put forth and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Even so, you too, when you see these things happening, recognizing that he is near right at the door. And so he's saying, when you see all of these things, just what we're to do in the midst of when you start looking at all of these events and you go, is this, are we, I don't know. But I think in the midst of this, we're all, we know that Jesus is near and what we're commanded to do is recognize that Jesus is, is, is near to us. And so whether he's coming soon or it's another, you know, two millennia before he arrives, what we're to do is to stay vigilant, that we're to know that he's near and that he is moving. He's not asleep at the wheel. Verse 30, truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until these things take place. I believe that this is the short term of the prophecy of the temple being destroyed. Verse 31, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. And now we've, we've, we've pressed through. I, I know I'm getting close to the end of my time. And in these last few verses of chapter 13, Jesus says some things that I do think are important for us. All of this is important for us, but verse 32 says, But of that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, of, nor the Son but the Father alone. Take heed, keep on the alert, for you do not know when the appointed time will come. It is like a man on a journey who, upon leaving his house and putting his slaves in charge, assigning to each one his task, also commanded the doorkeeper to stay on the alert. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know when the master of the house is coming, for whether in the evening, at midnight, or when the rooster crows in the morning, in the case he should come suddenly before and find you asleep. I hope I haven't put you guys to sleep already. What I say to you, I say to all, be on the alert. So in these last four, these last however many verses, we see three times. You don't know. 
you don't know, you don't know. Not not the Son, uh, only the Father knows, not the angels. And so whenever somebody comes to you and says, oh, this is the time, and they give you a date, I can guarantee you whatever date somebody names, that just guarantees that it's not going to be on that day. Uh, what we're told four times is to be alert, be alert, be alert, be alert. So we, we navigate life praying, seeking God, reading the word, uh, fellowshipping. Hopefully one day we'll be able to fellowship like normal. Uh, when I look at a passage like this, for those of you who know me, I always ask the question, so what? Um, as we've gone through the coronavirus I've, I've seen it mentioned a few times. I've heard people sort of allude, like kind of the question is like, are these the last times? Like in the last couple of weeks, I feel like we've had earthquakes. We've had all these crazy things happen. Uh, the tensions between China are rising. There's, there's wars happening all around the world that they don't seem to be making sort of frontline news anymore. And, and I think that people are, are legitimately concerned, like, hey, are, are, these, are, are these the last days? And my question is just sort of like, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't have a clue. The question I ask, though, is does it, does it matter? Or, or, or really, the, the, the more appropriate question is, it like, does, how, like, how does it affect how we live? And, and, I, and I, if it's the last days or it's not, it shouldn't affect how we as Christians are living our lives. Um. When I look through the passage, I, I flip to First John chapter 2, if you want to start heading there. But when I look through chapter 13, the things that I see that we're commanded to do as believers, see to it that no one misleads you. Be grounded in the Word of God so that you, you know what it says. Don't be, don't be afraid. Trust God. Be on your guard. Don't, don't be led astray. Um, know that the gospel must be preached beforehand, so we need to fulfill our commandment to share the word of God and Jesus with others. Um, don't, don't worry. Um, take heed. Learn the parable from the fig tree. Keep on the alert. Keep on the alert. Keep on the alert. Now, one of the four guys that was there was the Apostle John. And without backing the car up too far and smashing out my rear window and going through this passage, I want to end with a passage that I do think is very tangible. So, so the Apostle John, who was the youngest of the disciples, he lived the longest, and at the end of his life, as he pens First John, Second John, Third John, in First John chapter 2, verse 28, he gives some advice. And I think in his advice... He's dealing with the Olivet Discourse. He's dealing with the reality of the things that, that we deal with. And he says, Now little children, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, 
because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. And so when I look at this passage, John, at the end of his life, after all of the other apostles had been executed, he, he leaves us with the reality that Jesus is returning. There's a whole lot of questions and a whole lot of camps, but everybody agrees Jesus is returning. The, the, the scripture makes that clear. And as we look forward to his return, we're told here that we're to abide in him. And we could spend our lives learning what that means. I think it means walking with him, being in a relationship with him. Uh, and when we're in a relationship with people, we spend time with them, we communicate with them, we listen to them. And so he's given us his word so that we could grow deeper in relationship with him. He's given us one another to serve him, to walk with him. Um, and so in this, we look towards his, the day when he returns, we recognize that we're going to stand before him face to face. And so we want to walk in holiness and righteousness so that when he does appear, whether it's his coming or our dying, however it is that we go to meet him, that when we meet him, we don't shrink back in shame. I can't think of anything worse than uh, you know, being kind of caught off guard. We know he's a loving God. Um, but the, the advice here is you know, walk with him, serve him, so that when you see him, it'll be like seeing your parent, and you can just run and jump into their arms, not a like, oh, man, I got busted. And even if you get busted, if you're in Christ, he'll love you and grab you up. And so with that, let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you and praise you for your word. We, Lord, the, this, this Olivet Discourse, it's, I'm the first to admit that the challenges that are here. But Lord, when I look at this passage, we see that things are going to get worse, that uh, humanity has sin within it, and it leads to bad things. And so, Father, you, uh, you encourage us to not be deceived. And so, Lord, we pray that you would, uh, by your Spirit, allow us to, to, to read your word and to grow and to see the truth that you have laid out for us. We pray that you would help us to walk with you, Lord, day by day in the midst of this coronavirus as we're not able to fellowship as we have been designed to fellowship. We're not able to, to work as you have called us to work. Um, And so, Father, we pray that in these times that you would help us to abide with you in ways maybe that we couldn't have abided with you apart from the coronavirus. And so, Lord, we do long for your return. We long to see you. Lord, we lay our fears down before you. And we just thank you, God, for being so good to us. And it's in Christ's good name we pray. Amen.